Welcome to the teaching ministry of pastors Carl and Cheryl Thomas. Our favorite verse is Habakkuk 2.14, where the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Consumed by that revelation, we are committed to recognizing, resourcing, and releasing high-impact ministries resulting in global glory, transforming lives to impact their world. We have a teaching that will impact you today. Now, let's get right into that word. How many know that summers are awesome around impact church? I love summers. Just some of the best preaching happens in the summers. And it's a good thing that we record it and put it on the internet so you can re-watch it if you're away. Because the last couple of years, we've done books of the Bible over the summer. And God's really ministered to us through these books. He's going to mess with you in a really good way through 1 John. You're going to be so encouraged and so blessed. You're going to go, my, my, my. I had no idea how awesome this book was. We're going to go verse by verse through 1 John this summer. And you're going to go, yum, yum for my tom-tom. You want to practice it now? Yum, yum for my tom, tom. <laughs> wow, I tell you, Lord, help me. Pull me in right now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Let's go to 1 John. Get your Bibles. Go to 1 John. We want to look at that. Now, look, what I want to tell you, first, we're going to deal with the, the first four verses. That's all we're going to cover. And in that, I want you to know that John's writing this book because he wants you to experience divine union. He wants you to experience divine union. He wants you to experience the joy of that, the reality of that, because it is yours. It is something that's yours in the spirit right now. It's not something you achieve. It's something that's finished, and the finished work of the cross is something that God has done for you. It's something you can just enter into and walk into. And John is saying, I want you to experience divine union. Amen. All right, here it is now. Let's look at the Bible. The Bible was not written to you. Sorry about that. Say, so, what? I thought the Bible was written to me. It wasn't written to you, but it was written for you. But it wasn't written to you. And that's really important to know because some people, I think, think the Bible's written to them. It's not, but it is written by very real people, very real people who wrote books to other people, and they wrote things to people. And it's really important that you know that What's written for you is the understanding of the usage and the context and what the Spirit of God wanted to share with us in and through his interaction with them. So the Bible's an amazing book, but you have to understand the usage, the context, who wrote it, why they write it. You have to understand all those things because it wasn't written to you, but it was written for you. And there's things that you can understand. Now, there you go. That's a good thing. Say, thank you, Pastor. Now, this is a personal letter a very specific personal letter written to specific people 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago. I am, what am I now? Am I 56 or 57? What am I? You don't know? 61? Oh, that was harsh right there, 61. Are you, I was born in 1960. Thank you. Thank you. I thought you were saying you look 61. But, but you know, in 1961, Amen. I mean, in 1961, how many remember in 1961 that you actually, you actually, if you had a television set, it was probably black and white. It was some tube thing. And, uh, and, and you know, do you remember, you remember ever going when a tube blew, you went down to the tube shop and went down and you, you checked the tube and you put the thing in to see if it was really working. And how many ever remember doing that, going to a tube shop? That's awesome. We're a really old church. So... <laughs> But I remember doing that stuff. I remember the, the corner uh, store that had one of those tube boxes that you could test your tube for your TV. Can you believe it? Test your tube. 
All right. So that was good stuff. And then, you know, you used to, I still call it the converter. I say, get me the converter. My wife goes, the converter was that box that had all the buttons on it. But you know what? I remember we didn't have a converter. Like, you know, rich people had converters. You know, my dad had a remote control. It was me. Carl, get up and turn the channel. So, because you had to walk up and you had to physically turn the knob. You know what I mean? And then you had to mess with the antennas. And I remember back when I couldn't see the football game too well and I had Cheryl go stand on the roof and just hold the antenna at a certain angle. She kept yelling, is it done yet? I said, fourth quarter, honey, we're almost there. You know, it was a windstorm, just awesome stuff. But she hung on, so it didn't really happen. But I would have made her do it because got to see the game. And you'd have done it because you're just a great wife. But anyway, hey, now, I mean, today we got cell phones, all kinds of things. You remember when you had those rotary phones? Cheryl, when I was dating Cheryl, she was on a, what do you call that? A party line. So I'm calling Cheryl about, hey, I'm coming back, you know, down on uh, the weekend, and where should we meet? And all of a sudden, hello? Can you get off the line, please? Would you shut up? I'm talking to my girlfriend. <laughs> like, other people were on the same line, and you had different rings to figure out if it was coming to you. How many of you ever had a party line? Wow, you guys are awesome. See, some of you kids have no idea. What the heck's a party line? What is that all about? You know, we've always had cell phones. But now, listen, that's a long time ago. I remember Aunt Wynn. You folks remember Aunt Wynn? Who remembers Aunt Wynn? Aunt Wynn, you know, she became, we adopted her. She didn't have any children. Her husband had passed away. Her whole family passed away. It was just her. And so we adopted her in our family. She became my Aunt Wynn. And my Aunt Wynn, she lived until she was 102. And I remember, though, she's getting a little frail at the end, and sometimes she couldn't get to the phone quick enough. And she just had this one phone. And she was upset when I said, you have to go to a push-button phone. You can't have the rotary anymore because it won't work. It has to have a tone. It won't go tick, 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 tick. And she was arguing with me why she wanted to keep that phone. Remember the phones that you actually had to spin? So it was a trial getting that in. So when she started getting a little bit older, she had this walker with a little pouch on the front. And I said, I'm going to get some wireless phones and what I'll do is I'll put a unit in the bathroom, a unit in the bedroom, a unit in the kitchen, and a unit in the living room. And it was like it has four phones on it. And then when you get up, you can actually put a phone right in your pouch. So if the phone rings, you just stop and go, hello. And so I, I thought that was a really good solution for her. Because she wouldn't get one of those things where if you fall, you press a button. She's, I'm not doing that. She's only 100. She wasn't old enough for one of those. So... But I got this system, I set it up, showed her how to do it, hooked it all up, all that. I'm not kidding. An hour later, I got a call. You've got to get these things out of here. I don't know what they're doing or what they are. Please, quickly, come back and remove them immediately. And I had to put back that old, you know, Northern Telecom little press button phone. And it was like, I don't know. I think she thought, you know, Putin was spying on her or something through that phone. I don't know. I don't even know if Putin was alive back then. Maybe he was with the KGB. But now listen, I'm saying, why are you saying all that, Pastor? Because this was written 2,000 years ago. And so you got to realize when I'm talking about that, for some of you, it's a head cramp just to think about, you know, a party line. Well, listen, they didn't even have a party line. They had no lines, you know what I mean? So you wanted to send a letter to somebody, you had to send it. It didn't go by post. You just found somebody to take it for you. So this was a long, long time ago. Can I get an Amen. 
All right, it's important to understand. So you got to understand who wrote it, who it was written to, when it was written, and all those kind of things. So it was written by a guy named John. That is the author. His name is John. Matthew 4, 21 and 22, it says, He called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. Now, this was John. This was John and his brother James. They were in partnership with their father. They were the sons of Zebedee. They had a fish market on the edge of the Sea of Galilee. Zebedee incorporated, and they used to fish, and they used to sell their wares every day. They'd go out at night, they'd fish, they'd come in and they'd sell their stuff in the morning. And there they were, Zebedee Incorporated. I don't know if it was Zebedee Incorporated or what. Maybe it was Zebedee and Sons Incorporated. I don't know. But it was these guys, they were fishermen and they were likely in their late teens. Likely in their late teens when Jesus met them and he's there and he's teaching and he came and he borrowed Peter's boat and he said, push out and Jesus taught. And he taught from the boat, but then he Fellas, come here. Now, they'd been fishing all night. They didn't catch anything. So one thing we know about these guys, they weren't really good fishermen. So, I don't know, Jesus couldn't find smart guys, not even good fishermen. And he said, I'll make you fishers of men. And they're like, we haven't caught it. We can't catch a fish. But anyways, everywhere you go, they're not catching stuff. Everywhere in the Bible, they need a miracle. But here they are. They do that. Jesus is teaching. He's teaching them about sowing and reaping is what he was teaching in the boat. Then he said to them, he said, take the boat now and push out for a haul. And they're like, we just washed our nets. You don't catch fish during the day. We just fished all night. If we throw our nets out, we got to clean them again. And yet they went, Peter said, at your word, we're going to do it. So they went and they did it and they got a miraculous catch of fish. And when they got it, it was miraculous. It, was, it literally says it was boat sinking catch of fish. They had to call other fishermen, all the other guys, come on, this is too big for all of us. And they all came and had boat sinking increase. And right at this point is where Jesus said to them, follow me. Give up the biggest catch of your life. Put it all on the shore. Say goodbye to the business. Goodbye to dad. Goodbye to everything. And follow me. So these were teenagers. He was a fisherman in a family fishing business. And God, Jesus, came to shore, did amazing miracles. And he said, look, I'm looking for some students. I'm a rabbi. I'm a great teacher. I'm going to be doing some series of meetings and doing some things around. And I'd like these two boys to be a part of my traveling ministry team. How you doing? All right, just give me a background. How many like background? Good. My wife loves background. So he called them immediately. They left their boat. They followed him. Mark chapter 3, 17. It says, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name uh, Boanerges. I don't know what this is. If I pronounced that, pronounced that right or not, I don't know. But he gave him that name. But the name means sons of thunder. He gave them the name Sons of Thunder. Now, you might think James and John must have just been lovely boys, and Jesus picked some of the nicest kids, you know, that he, that he knew from the neighborhood, but they were called Sons of Thunder. And when I think about them, I don't know about you, but when, when I read something in the Bible, there's a character in the Bible, I try to attach maybe something I, I know, or I attach something familiar, like, like Zacchaeus. Remember Zacchaeus, who was up the tree, the tax collector? For me, his character is played by Danny DeVito. So... <laughs> So I, I, I kind of put characters on so when I'm reading the story, I can visualize it and stuff like that. So, so that's kind of what I do, you know? So Paul, the Apostle Paul, when I see the Apostle Paul, I, I attach Yoda to the Apostle Paul. It's like, Yoda, I have great wisdom for you. It's like, anyway, for James and John, I kind of, I attach my brothers. Because when I think of Sons of Thunder, my brothers were trouble. They're twin boys and they were trouble. I mean, they were breaking things, messing things. They were, they were just into stuff all the time, you know? So, so uh, I, whenever I think of James and John, I think of them because I think these guys were sons of thunder and I think they were trouble. I, I know my brothers, I, when they would play darts, if one started winning and they'd be playing darts and all of a sudden it looked like he couldn't catch up, instead of throwing at the dartboard, he threw at his brother. 
I kid you not, there are many times we had to pull a dart out of a calf or out of a chest. Or, and, no kidding. I'm not, and they don't mind me telling you this, do they? No, they don't. So, and I remember one time when we started a new school, and I don't know what happened, but one of my brothers ticked this big guy off. And so he found out who he was and what bus he was going home on. And he said, I'm going to meet you after school at your bus, and I'm going to beat the tar out of you. And he said, bring it on, big guy. So now he didn't know he had a twin. So my other brother's just walking down the hall. And he's like, don't forget, Thomas at the bus. I'm going to lick you. And he's like, dude, I don't even know who you are, but you want to you wanna pick on me, knock yourself out. So they were, they were, a, they were a fight looking for something to happen. So, so sure enough, you get to the bus stop, and this guy shows up, and there's two of them going, bring it. And they beat the stuffing out of him. They really did. I kid you not, they, they later on had to get delivered from hundreds of violent demons because uh, they just were, they were sons of thunder. Anyways, picking on my brothers, but they've, they've turned around, they've turned a corner. But that's, see, if you think of John, he was mild-mannered John. He wrote that beautiful book about love and God is love. I mean, this guy was full on. This guy was intense. Let me give you another verse. Look at this right here. So James and John, I mean, they, they went into a town to get some stuff while they were traveling, and this town wouldn't receive them, wouldn't even serve them. It's like they went into, you know, Swiss chalet and said, look, we're traveling, we want to stop for dinner. Get out, we're not going to serve you. Here's what James and John said. We forgive you, God bless you, we're just going to go somewhere else. No, they walked out and said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them like Elijah did? And Jesus said, you don't know what spirit you're of. Which means you guys, man, you're trouble. Oh my goodness. Says, wow, I can't believe I picked you guys to be on my team. But anyways, you're the sons of thunder for sure because they thought it'd be a good idea just to smite everybody who gets in our way. So this is John. This helping anybody? All right, because we got to talk about who is this guy? What's this all about? But, but look now, uh, John probably was, and, and most writers and tradition says that he was probably the youngest of all the disciples. He was probably the very youngest of all the disciples. Maybe that's why being the youngest that Jesus, you know, really did take him under his wing and, and had real affection for him because he might have been the youngest on the team. So 1 John 4, 8, though, it says this. 1 John, we're studying 1 John, remember? 1 John 4, 8 says, who does, not, who does not love does not know God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. If there's one thing John wanted to tell you, and this is a personal letter. This isn't a theological lecture sent to be read in all the seminaries around, you know, Ephesus and the gathering area. This is a personal guy writing a personal letter about a personal relationship that he had with the living God. And John wants you to know, you know what I know about God? Jesus manifests to me that God is love. Settle down. I know you're excited. There's more. That's not it. There's so much more. John 13, he's also the one who wrote the Gospel of John. And John wrote these books later in life. So John lived longer than all the apostles. And, and later in life, John wrote this Gospel because he said, you know what? I have a unique relationship with Jesus. And you know, these other guys have written really good Gospels, but I am the one that he loved. I am the one who was closer to him than anybody else. I am the one who had a more intimate connection with him than anybody else. But here's what John's saying. You know what? Everybody could have that connection. I did have it, and you should all have it, and I want you all to have it because it wasn't exclusive to me. It's for everyone. But John said, I want you to know that. In, uh, in uh, John 13, 23, now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples, the disciple he loved. Now, John wrote that. John himself wrote it about himself, but it's so good that John said, I'm the one. 
It's me, moi aussi. I'm the guy that Jesus loved. You should say that too. I don't have one plaque on my office that says I'm his favorite. I have two. They both say the same thing. I could turn around, I'm his favorite. Oh, I'm still his favorite. I'm his favorite. I'm his favorite. And people give those to me. You know why they give them to me? Because they really think I believe that. But here's the truth. I really do believe it. And you should too. You should never have an opinion other than God is nuts about you, loves you. He can't live without you, for you. He'll remove every obstacle to his passion for you. He'll never be separated from you. Even if you screw up and become a big goofball, he's still going to be nuts about you and never leave you or forsake you. Here's John's biggest message. You ready? Jesus isn't just love. Jesus didn't just manifest that God is love. Jesus loves me. Ha! <laughs> Put that in your pipe and smoke it. All right, give me another slide. We got to go. John 19, 26 and 27. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved. When Jesus saw his mother at the cross, this is Jesus on the cross. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was beaten to death and then nailed to a cross and hung there for six hours, all I'm thinking about is, ah! But he's looking down and he's noticing the people around. He's saying, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. But then he sees his mom and he sees John and he says to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he turned to this disciple, said, behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her into his home. John was somebody right there in a messed up, broken state where God is in Christ, you know, reconciling the world to himself. While all of that's cosmically going on, Jesus is saying, hey, John, take care of my mom. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? That's, I love Jesus. Those kind of things make me think he's so awesome. And John was so intimate with Jesus. that Jesus had other family members, but right there, Jesus said, John, this is your mom. Mom, this is the guy who I'm entrusting your future to. So this is John. This is the John we're talking about. This is an amazing guy. And somebody who's not speaking to us some theological dissertation. This is somebody who's unfolding a personal relationship with a wonderful, loving, personal God. And so when you approach the book of John, don't read it like it's some lecture or something written to you or some theological discourse. Read it like it's a passionate letter from somebody who had an intimate relationship with a loving God and he wants to unpack it and unfold it to you. Can I get a Hallelujah. Just push the people that are sleeping and say, what are you thinking? This is awesome. Okay, all right. Took me to own. Give me another slide. Tertullian. Say Tertullian. Gesundheit. Okay, Tertullian. In his writings, The Prescription of Heretics, he wrote this. He spoke of John being publicly boiled in oil by the Emperor Dom Domitian at Rome and suffering nothing from it. It is said that the whole audience of the Colosseum were converted to Christianity upon witnessing this miracle. He was taken and dropped in boiling oil. He was preaching the whole time, did not stop preaching, and he was not affected by the boiling oil at all. And all the people came to see a sight of some more Christians being eaten by lions and beheaded and stuck on posts. When they took John and they dropped him in the oil, he kept preaching. It didn't affect him one bit. And because of that, the whole place came to Jesus. So Domitian took him and sent him to Paphos and said, let's, Paphos said, let's get him out of here because this guy is turning people 
to the kingdom of this Jesus guy and I can't kill him, so let's get rid of him. So this is that John. This is that John who had that kind of relationship with Jesus. It's John who on the Isle of, of, of Patmos, when he was there, he had another encounter with the same Jesus. But this time Jesus came and it was like, you know, thunderbolts out of his eyes, fire and ah, John. And he went, oh my goodness, wham, you know. And he said, it's me, Jesus. And I mean, if I were John, I would have said, well, chill with the fireworks. I mean, my God. I mean, we were fishing a few weeks ago, and now suddenly, what's all this stuff, you know? But I mean, he had ongoing experiences with God. Tell, I'm telling you something. Jesus can come to you in different ways. Jesus can manifest himself to you in different ways. And John experienced Jesus. He put his head on his breast, but now suddenly the one that he hung out with, jumped around with, fished with, swam with, suddenly he shows up, lightning bolts, all that stuff. He falls on his face like a dead man. And Jesus said, John, get up. I want to share some things with you. This is that John. Are you okay? This is that John. So this is that John who, who went through this a historical figure some 2,000 years ago. All right. All right. First John 4, 15. First John. What are we reading? What are we studying this year or this, this summer? First John. First John 15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. You got to understand the purpose for John writing the book of 1 John. Because if you don't understand the purpose, you could get lost in 1 John. If you don't understand the purpose, you could think that John's not trying to qualify me. He's trying to disqualify me. You read, read all summer. Every week, read the book of John because we're studying it. But if you don't read it with a proper lens, there's a bunch of things in there that could confuse you. And you can think that I got to qualify to be a child of God. Here's what John says in John's book. Whoever is whoever here today. Whoever. I don't know why I'm shouting. I just like it. I'm spitting too. It's, when I'm spitting, it's especially anointed. <laughs> Need umbrellas for the spit zone here. Whoever confesses, whoever says Jesus is the son of God. You ready? Jesus is the Son of God. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides every once in a while nearby them. Sometimes he's close. Sometimes I feel him. Sometimes I don't. No, whoever confesses Jesus is the Son of God, God makes his home in you. And he places you in him. Well, how do I qualify for that, Pastor? Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is the son of God. That's John. He had a real purpose. He wanted people to have an absolute assurance, a clear revelation of being a child of God. He wanted them to be established in it because there was false teachers. There was teachings. There was things going on. There was Gnostic teachings and all kinds of teachers that were trying to teach people that first some said Jesus wasn't even God. And then others said, well, your sin's really not your problem. And others were saying, well, you got to stop sinning or you can't have a relationship. So there's all kinds of false teachings that John, this older, wise Jedi priest, he wasn't a Jedi priest, he was this older guy who, who, who knew Jesus, who knew the intention of the Father, he said, these people are trying to confuse it. I have a full-on personal experience with God, and I want you to know him in the right way. So he wrote this book so that people could believe right and they could experience right what God desired for their lives. 
Is anybody still feeling me? Matthew 16, 16 to 17, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Who do men say that I am? Guys, who do men say that I am? And all of a sudden, Peter pops up and says, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus went, whoa. He had a better landing than that, but he jumped up and he spun around with incredible joy because he went, yes, a man encountered a God thought and he confessed it. A man got a thought out of heaven. He embraced it and he spoke it. A man received revelation from above and he responded and he let it be expressed through his lips. On this, I will build my church. People who get revelation and they agree with it and they declare it is what's going to build the church. So Jesus was like, wow, what was the confession? You're the son of God. What's the benefit of that? The benefit of that is flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. You just had a spiritual encounter. You see, when you confess that Jesus is the son of God, it's not something you can do in your own humanity. It's something you do by the enablement of God himself. And when you're born again, you're born from above. Born from above. It's an act of God. And when you can say Jesus is the son of God, God himself has enabled you, empowered you, and he has caused you to be born from above, an act of God himself to bring you into his family. Done. And John wants you to know that because religion will creep up behind you and say, I don't think you're quite right. I don't think you're quite the quality of person that God was thinking of. And it's rubbish. And those things still attack the church today. So that's why it wasn't written to you, but it was written for you. All right, give me another slide just because we're having fun. These are some conditions, all right? These are some things, and they are not conditions or tests to determine if you're a child of God. Hello, there's several of them. I'm only giving you a few. But if you read the book of John without the proper filter, you could go away feeling insecure and unstable in your relationship with God. Now, was the word written to make you insecure and unstable? Was the word written to make you confused? Was the word written to challenge you and make you walk away from it fearful that you could even be a child of God? All of those answers were no. A big no. The word was written so that you could know. So you can be established. You get a revelation of Jesus Christ. You can be affirmed in his love for you and that he is indeed your father and he's brought you into his kingdom. You are the choice of God. He chose you. You didn't chose him. You didn't even know you were lost, but he caused you to be born from above and brought you into his family. And the Bible, if you ever read the Bible and you walk away from it feeling condemned or you walk away from it feeling less than wonderful, you've read it with the wrong filter or the devil himself has been whispering in your ear while you're reading it. When I read the Bible, I open up my sweet Holy Spirit. You are my teacher. Guide me in the word of God. I don't read it in my own humanity. I read it because it is a spiritual book that needs spiritual understanding. And the revelator, the Holy Ghost himself, will lead me into all truth. But it's easy if you don't do that. You can, here's come first. You ready? He who hates his brother is in darkness. There's two places in the book of John. There's light and there's darkness. But John says in 1 John, you are light. But you see, if you don't remember and if you don't read the whole letter and keep an understanding of the purpose, you could read this on its own and take a verse out of context and say, wow, I was angry with my brother. I might not be a child of God. Maybe I'm not even saved. What, what, what is hate? 
And how much hate do you have to have? Have I got level 10 hate, level 4 hate? Maybe it's just level 1. If you hate, you're a murderer. Oh, my God. I don't, maybe I'm not a believer. I don't know if I'm going to go to church this week. So I'm not sure if God likes me. Hello? Julie says it happens. Not to her, she's talking about other people. 3 8, I could have given you a whole bunch, but listen, he who sins is of the devil. Ha <laughs> ha! And he sent, oh, eyes closed, heads bowed. Anybody successfully sinned this week? Only one person. Fantastic. That is so good. What an awesome church we have here, Father. Not one little ounce of fear or concern, not even one thought that my future's not secure, not even one time where you let something creep in, not even one time when you felt like somebody, you should get them, Lord. You, you had a bad thought about somebody. You know what that is? That's sin. How many, let's do it again. Heads bowed, eyes closed. How many have sinned this week? And the rest of you, you're sinners by not lifting your hand. Unbelievable. You got, a, you got a sin of just self-denial. Your self-righteousness is a stench to heaven. <laughs> Smells like sin. <laughs> You're of the devil. You're a child of the devil. You could walk away reading that one verse. Let me get my verse for the day. Let me pick it out. First John 3, 8. Who sins is of the devil. I'm of the devil. So we got to study this book because this stuff is in there. And you know, sometimes if you don't apply it to yourself, instead of the word of God being a mirror, you take the mirror out and you use it as a picture frame and you shout it at other people. <laughs> you know, you're having a bad week. I got a verse for you. I want to encourage you. He who sins is of the devil. <laughs> Just the Lord wants you to know that. Well, thank you. Hallelujah. My one intercessor. Glory to God. Okay. How many are enjoying themselves so far? I'm going to pick on you next. He who does not love his brother abides in death. But you don't know my brother. I mean, that's where, that's where the Pharisees are like, love your neighbor? Well, who is my neighbor? <laughs> do I get to choose the people I love? No. In fact, here's what I'd like you to do. Love your enemies. Ah. Well, my love has limits. My love fails. Some people I finally get, I just had enough. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Amen. Let's send that verse to a few people when we get out of church today. We see, if you read this stuff out of context and don't understand what its usage is, you could actually walk away from the word hurting yourself or hurting others. Because this book is all about you being absolutely secure in the love of God for you and being nuts about it. And that's what it's all about. So we have to state right off the top that 1 John is going to be a wild summer because we're going to experience God like we never have before. I promise you. These are calls to express your fellowship. They are not things to condemn you. They are calls to express your union with Christ because in your union with Christ, these things naturally flow in your life. These are not things I'm trying to beat you up with. These are things that, hey, you know that. I mean, you love your brother, right? You wouldn't want to do that because anybody who hates their brother lives in death and you don't because you are light. And in you, there's no darkness at all. So don't take verses out of context. And when you read it, don't allow the devil to try to take the word because he's a legalist. He's a legalist. And the devil knows the word better than most of us. Way better. And he knows how to twist it and distort it and use it against you. And sometimes he takes verses and he turns around. 
He says, you know, you know, say things like, uh, you know, if you don't love God, you're not a child of God. <sighs> you know what? I'm a child of God because he loves me, and I love him because he first loved me. But the devil likes to turn around and say, your quality of relationship with God is based on your quality of your obedience to him, which is all rubbish. But the devil loves to turn stuff around, and it's really easily done in the book of John if you don't read it as a whole. Is that okay? Am I belaboring this point? A little bit, because you got to get it right. Say thank you, Pastor. Even if you don't know why, say thank you, Pastor. Okay. Let's read 1 John chapter 1, verse 1 to 4. That which was from the beginning, <laughs> which we have heard. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. Capital W, the word, the person of life, the eternal word, that word, that word, the life, the life, the God life, the life that holds everything together, the life was manifested and we have seen and we bear witness and we declare to you that eternal life. Not eternal life becoming a believer, but him, the one who embodies eternal life, the one who is life, the word of life, him, life. It was manifest us. I saw it. I gazed on it intently. I touched it. I hugged it. I had an experience with it, and I heard it, and it was manifest us, and I want to bear testimony to you about what I saw, heard, touched, and experienced. God who came out of eternity, I had a personal relationship with him, and I want you to clearly understand who he is and what he's all about. Good book. Awesome book. That which was eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you. Why? That you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, honestly, sincerely, I'm telling you, the fellowship that you're going to have that's with us, that same fellowship is with the Father and with the son and listen i'm going to tell you all of this so that i got to tell you these things why why so that you can feel condemned and insecure and not sure about your salvation no i'm going to do it so that your joy may be full if you're not reading this and going ha, 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 you're not reading it right because that's the purpose of the book you know pastor you wrote me a letter and you said you wanted to make me happy but when i read it i was really really sad well how did i screw that up Paul wrote the letter to give you incredible joy. John, did I say John? Who did I say, Paul? Did I say Fred? Yoda got on my mind there just for a minute. John wrote it so you could have joy. Let's go. Say, let's go, pastor. Okay, number one, Jesus was God manifest. I don't care what you're reading in the Bible. If it does not completely line up with what Jesus manifested, stay with Jesus. What are you saying? You don't like the Bible? There are parts of the Bible that don't really manifest what God wants to manifest. Something wrong with the Bible? Well, here's what God said. I tried to communicate through prophets and writers. I tried to communicate through these people in their culture. I had a hard time. So he said in Hebrews, he said, but now. So what, what are you saying when I tried to communicate? It wasn't really clear. So I want to be really clear. So he says, now in these days, I've spoken a clear message, and the message is Jesus. 
That doesn't mean the Bible's not awesome, inspired, wonderful, and all of those things. But you see, if you're interpreting the Bible and you're not taking it through the filter of Jesus, if it doesn't match with Jesus, you've got a misunderstanding of what it was written for. Because the Bible is written to manifest and agree with the disclosure that God himself made, which is, here I'm speaking clearly, my son. If something does not line up with him, it's probably a message that you've got wrong. Or somebody else has got wrong. And you need to stay with Jesus. Because you know what? It's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, not Father, Son, and Holy Book. I love the Holy Book. I'm actually preaching from the Holy Book. And the Holy Book was not written to you. It's written for you. And there's all kinds of wonderful values, principles, and all kinds of things that we need to get out of that book. But you need to realize that when God really wanted to communicate and manifest who he was, Jesus was God manifest. All right, turn to your neighbors, say, that didn't hurt too bad, did it? Okay, just some people are like, ah. John, chapter one, verse 14, so the word became human. New Living Translation, the word became human. The word, the word, the word. What is the word that changed your life? It's not logos, it's rhema. It's spoken, quickened, moving, aggressive word, that word. So the word became human. It was made his home among us. He is full of unfailing love and faithfulness and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father, the Father's one and only Son. John wants to be really, really clear that Jesus is God. God was manifest. You want to know God? God has revealed him through his Son. He is the eternal one. He's not, and he had to do it because false teachers were saying he wasn't God. Then some other teachers were saying he wasn't really human. It was just some spiritual emanation. Everything physical is evil. Only spiritual stuff is good. There was all kinds of creepy Gnostic teaching, but Paul wanted to make it clear. God became a human. John, did I say John? Who did I say? I love Paul. John, forgive me for teaching in Paul's name. So the word became human and made his home among us. He is full of unfailing love. We have seen this glory of the glory of the one and only. Give me another slide. And no one has ever seen God, but the unique one who himself is God. He is God. He's near to the father's heart. He has revealed God to us. Can I get an amen? All right, so that's what John wants to say. Jesus is the clear revelation of God. He was personally, John's saying, he was, I didn't go to a lecture and learn about him. He was personally revealed to me, personally. God personally revealed him to me. Very, very important. All right, let's go. Second thing I want you to see in this text. He says we experienced him fully. We experienced him fully. Like he used his words on purpose. We saw him, we gazed upon him, we heard him, we touched him. Why? Because he wants you to know that this was a real person that we hung around with. It was a real person, and yet he was every bit God himself. But we had a very expressive, wonderful, tangible relationship. Well, what was it like? Well, let me tell you, I heard him. We heard him. And that's the word, akao. Akao. It means to attend to, to consider what has been said, to understand, perceive the sense of what is said. So what he's saying is we heard the living word out of eternity. We experienced him personally. He spoke to us. And he didn't speak like anybody we'd ever heard before. We'd all been good Jews. We'd tried our best, you know. But, but when he came and he said he was God and he began to talk, he talked with authority. 
When he talked, I was like, man, my heart started to blow up. When the religious teachers taught, I walked out feeling like, man, I'm never good enough. But when he talked, I felt inspired. His word was spirit. His word was life. His word picked me up and it animated me. His word empowered me. I wanted to hear him over and over and over again because his word was life. He turned things around. They said, obey the law and God will be with you. He said, I've obeyed the law so that God can be in you. They're like, what? These guys are obeying the law. You're like, you fulfilled the law? And so the law is fulfilled in you and you've come to do it for us? Yes, it's all fulfilled in me. But these guys say, we still got to do it. No, it's done in me. But, but the temple, I mean, the, the, the religious systems, that's the way to God. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Dude, what's the deal with that? Are you okay? My wife's tapping the clock. I have to quit now. I got 500 more slides, too. When he talked to people, it says they received the word with gladness. When he talked to people, it was gracious and it was kind. When he talked to people, they lit up. When he talked to people, we had one time he was teaching and he began to walk and everybody followed him. They went three days journey, listened to him teach. So far away from any, you know, McDonald's or Burger Kings. We were way out in the wilderness. Three days, everybody's hungry. We said, dude, stop teaching because these people are going to get hungry. Then we got a big mob out here. What are we going to do, feed them? Jesus said, you feed them. They were willing to go a three-day journey to nowhere. Just a feast on the way he spoke. I heard the voice out of eternity. It became human. It took on flesh and blood, and it spoke to me the very life. Got a little Pentecostal there. Life. Are you feeling this or what? I'm feeling, I almost couldn't get out of my office this morning. I was sitting there, Lord, stop. I'm going to get stuck in this chair for the rest of the day. Because ah! he's so awesome. Because the one who manifested him was manifesting to me in my office, in worship, right now. That same one is squeezing me and saying, I love you. Let's go on. I've got to go on. There's so much. He said, we've seen him. We've seen him. It's the word, harao, harao, to stare at. I mean, how awkward is that? Like, are we uncomfortable yet? I mean, we stared at him. I mean, we discerned him clearly. We saw with our mind, we perceived things. We knew things. We saw he did amazing things. You know, we went to a wedding and they were running out of wine. He turned the water into wine. We saw this stuff. He had authority over nature. We saw him break natural boundaries and do stuff that no human can do. One day we're rowing and fighting with the waves and all of a sudden he comes walking on the water. Peter jumps out of the boat. He can't float. He walks for a little bit. Jesus picks him up, puts him back, calms the storm. He spoke to the winds and the waves. They still obey his voice. We saw him, the miraculous catch of fish. We saw him take a kid's lunch and turn it into a feast for thousands of people. He walked through a wall. I mean, I saw stuff. I saw stuff that no human can do, and yet he was every bit human. But he was amazing to be with. Every day we woke up and said, what's he going 
going to do today? I mean, every day I'm like, quick, because every day felt like Christmas. Go to sleep fast, because we're going to wake up to another miraculous day with Jesus. We're going to see stuff that's going to wreck our minds. It's going to cause us to go on tilt. We're going to see the whole city come to him, and he's going to heal everybody. Man, another day of reckless, crazy bliss because I'm in intimate union and fellowship with Jesus Christ. Don't you wish you were John? John wishes he were you because God said he'd do greater things today than he did even then. Those people are all going, you guys are in the finest hour of the church. But if you read a book and you get condemned, you read a book and you don't know who you are, you're not discerning why it was written. And John is saying, I want you to know that what we saw, what was an everyday experience with Jesus, he now wants to do in and through you because God himself is in you and he is with you. Jesus was with us. We woke up. He was physically there. That same physical person you can experience right now. He has made his home in you. Every day is awesome. Settle down. Holy moly, you almost, it's almost like you believe this. We've seen him. We looked upon him. We looked upon him. To behold, to look, to view attentively, to contemplate, to look with admiration. I mean, we, we admired him. I mean, everybody admired him. The only people who didn't admire him were the religious people because he was taking away all their toys. He was wrecking their world. They were saying, come sacrifice, obey. Not good enough, not good enough, not good enough. You shall not go into the presence of God. Thou art not holy enough. And then Jesus came up and says, tell you what, I'm going to make the way. I'm going to open the door so wide nobody can shut it and you all have access through me. Are you kidding me? You're going to get a one pass for all so that when we go, we just get by the ride and we're all in the speed lane and there's chairs for everyone, and we all get the ride infinitely and enjoy every part of life, and we go, he's got the speed pass, covers us all. Whoa! <laughs> Done. 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 We were there when he, he came to the, we came to the gate at Nain, and there's a funeral coming out. We're like, oh, wow, widow lost her son. That's rough. We watched him walk up and say, shh, stop crying. And he touched the coffin and went, don't touch the coffin. You do that, you touch death. Nobody will listen to you because you'll have to take a time out for purification. But he said, look, that death can't touch me. Life is going to touch death. Death won't get on me. I'm going to get on it. And he touched that coffin. He said, son, get up. And he restored him. And didn't we have a party that day? Didn't we have a party that day? Did you see how he treated that woman? How he invaded that situation with the hope of heaven? It was so beautiful. Did you see when we, we didn't know why we're in Samaria? He sends us to the market. We come back and he's talking with a Samaritan woman who clearly, it's pretty clear, during the middle of the day going to the well, she's a prostitute. He's talking to her. But you see how gently he talked to her, how he spoke to her, how he touched her. And her life was so transformed, she went openly in broad daylight and preached to the whole city. Her life was so, don't we admire him? Remember when the lepers came and we we're like, don't do it, don't do it. He went, and he touched them all. We're like, no. But then instead of anything happening to him, they were all instantly healed. And do you see how he embraced them and how he loved them? I mean, you remember Zacchaeus? I mean, the worst tax collector ever climbs a tree to see Jesus. And Jesus walks by and says, hey, Zach, come on down. 
I want to go to your place for a party. What, me? Yeah, come on, let's go to your place for a party. And everybody was like, I can't believe he's hanging out with that wicked guy. But didn't Zach experience a touch of God so radical that he unpacked his whole world, gave his wealth away, and just gave, didn't we see one after another transformations? It wasn't it great to see that he healed all comers. Hey, okay, let me move on, because we got to move on. He said, my hands have handled him. And that's the word, uh, it means to handle, to touch, and to feel. I used to lean on him when we ate. You know, when we ate, we would sit on the ground when we ate, and we'd kind of lean on each other to hold each other up. And you know what? I used to sit right beside Jesus. And when I was eating, I'd be, and sometimes, you know what? He'd actually reach over and feed me. So, oh, you got to, John, you got to try this. This is awesome. Try that. Wasn't that good? It was so good. When's the last time you laid on his breast and ate a pizza? Oh, we can't do that, Pastor. Sure you can. I mean, I remember that time that we were fishing, and then we saw somebody on the shore, and he cooked breakfast. We, he cooked breakfast. He didn't say, hello, angels, cook us a meal. <laughs> he actually went, got the fish, went down. He cooked it himself. I mean, he was God Almighty. He could have said, let there be ham and eggs. Well, not ham and eggs, because you guys still mess with the ham thing. But... But I mean, boom, he cooked it, and then we got there, and he's breaking it to us. He's feeding us to us. John, you love this. I made it extra salty for you. I know you love it salty. Oh, I love that about you, Jesus. You're so awesome. Hey, and Peter, I know you like hot sauce. They didn't make any yet, so I made my own. And we hung out with them. When he got excited, we used to jump up at the wedding when he turned the water into wine, and he said, come on, everybody, dance. And we went, I don't even know what that song is. But anyways, they were having a great time. I thought it was Hava Tequila, so you shouldn't sing that one. Hava Tequila. That's the wrong song, I think. Anyways. We heard him. We saw him. We admired him. We, we were fixed on him. And we loved him physically. We touched him. We embraced. He was my very dearest, closest friend. Wow. He washed my feet. <laughs> he's telling us, got kind of weird on us one night. He's having, you know, the cup and the bread. And he's saying he's going away. And, you know, Thomas is like, where are you going? And we are kind of didn't know what was going on. But then he, then he took off his robes and he put on the robe of a servant. He began to one after another. He began to wash my feet. And I'm, I'm like looking, going, Jesus, what? Why are you doing this? And he came and he grabbed my feet. And, you know, he went right in the toe jams. And he, he went right in. And I said, I'm sorry about that one. It's a fungus. I was going to get it looked at. But, but he went right at it. Hey, he'd wash even Cheryl's feet. And that's amazing. I make sure I wear socks all the time just because I'm like, my God. Just kidding, honey. I love you. That was terrible. Okay. How many felt me slip into the flesh right there? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> he washed my feet, and then Thomas, I touched his nail-scarred hands. Hey, it was that funny. Go ahead. It's okay. It was. It was okay. We'll have Cheryl at the door later so you can inspect your feet on the way out. Okay. So. Did you hear the groans, Cheryl? Did you hear that? You are loved. It's so awesome. I am apparently not so much. But all right, I'm going to finish up right now. You ready? Are you feeling this? This is the first four verses of 1 John. This is what he's trying to share. And here's what he said. He said, I want you to have the same fellowship that we had. He said, you know this, even though it may not be 
physical like you think it is, I want you to have the exact same fellowship that I did. The same quality of physical fellowship and relationship with God. He said that intimacy, koinonia, intimacy, communion, joint participation. It's even the word used for intercourse. If you know what that means. He's saying this is something really, really. I want you to understand that there's a relationship with him that you can have that is so incredibly wonderful and so deep. You are in absolute union with God. You cannot get closer to God than you are right now. If someone says you can, they're trying to create distance between you and God. Anything that creates distance between you and God is religion. I just want to get closer. Well, he's in you and you're in him. There's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and you have absolute fellowship with him, right? Imagine trying to get closer than that. How frustrating would that be? You know what you do is you just say, wow, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Be a part of the family of God. Enter complete union with the greatest community ever, forever experiencing union with Christ. Number four, the fourth thing, be overwhelmed with joy. The word kara, which is gladness, cheerfulness, and it's the same word says when the wise men saw the, saw, saw the star again, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. It's not just joy, it's exceeding great joy. Here, what he wants, he says, I want you to be living in an abiding relationship with Jesus that will give you joy on the inside that will never fail no matter what's happening on the outside. Let me say that again. When you get this, you can get a joy on the inside that will be so powerful in your life that it doesn't matter what's happening on the inside because that joy will enable you and empower you no matter how ugly it looks in your world. And there's times you gotta pull on that joy. See, happiness comes from the root word happening. So we get happy because what's happening makes me happy, but what about what's happening doesn't make you happy? That's when you have joy. 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 Ha, ha, ha. What are you laughing at? I got joy, deep down, lovely joy bubbling up in my spirit, and it doesn't matter what's going on outside of me because you can never steal my joy. The devil wants to steal your joy. He attacks your joy because the joy of the Lord is your strength. If you're feeling weak, check out your joy. It's the joy of the Lord. It's not the joy of you. It's the joy of the Lord, and it is your strength. A living, abiding relationship with Jesus will give you joy in the inside that will never fail no matter what's happening outside of your life. Number, next one, next one. Are you ready? Are you ready? Listen, listen. Come on, stand up with me. How many are glad I didn't send you to the beach an hour ago? How many wish I had? Oh, I saw that hand. Not offended at all. Okay, listen. Jesus totally manifests God. I have fully experienced him. You can have the same intimacy I do, and it will fill you with great joy. That's the first part of John's epistle to the church. Same Jesus I hung with. I know what it is. A hundred years later or so, he some say he lived over 100 years old. He said, the one I walked with physically, I'm still walking with him today. And you can walk with him too. And you can have the same intimate union that I have with him because he's good. If you're able to say this, he will live in you and he will put you in him. If you're able to say this, Jesus Christ is the son of God. That's it. I didn't write it, I'm just preaching it. Holy Ghost wrote it. And he said, 
What do you say about Jesus? What do you say about Jesus? Who do men say that I am? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You can't say that without an impartation of the Spirit of God. So I just want you to bow your heads, close your eyes, everyone, because I want you. Paul's, Paul, sorry, Paul, Paul, sorry. Talking about John this year. Paul, take, take a break. Here's what John wanted. He wanted you to have the same intimate encounter with him that he did. He wanted to be living and vital in your life today. He wants you to have him living in you. He wants you to dwell in God. And he wants you to experience the joy of what that means. And it does result in joy. Joy, joy. If you've never done that before, you've never said, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. I believe all that he says he is. I believe that he was sent to free me from sin, give me forgiveness, and bring me into his family. John says, come into the family of God. And that's the message to you today. Join the family. Join intimacy with the Heavenly Father. Come on, be a part of the family and enjoy, enjoy, enjoy the overwhelming, exceeding great joy of that. Now, if you're here today and you've never done that, you're not sure, you're, you're I, I don't know, but I want to. What you're saying, Pastor, I'm in. I'm gonna count to three. I'm gonna go one, two, three. And if you're not sure or you're wondering, did I ever do that, but you want to right now, you want that right now, then when I count to three, I want you to put your hand up and we're just gonna pray with you. Are you ready? Here it is, please. Spirit of God is working on your life. He loves you. One, two, Three, just throw your hand up very high. Very high so I can see it. Very high, thank you. Anyone else, just push it up high, thank you. Thank you. Anyone else, just put your hand up really high. Okay, thank you, you can put your hands down. We're all gonna pray. Isn't that awesome, isn't he good? Oh God, you're so good to me. We're all gonna pray, everybody's gonna pray. You're all gonna raise your voices, you ready? Thank you, Heavenly Father, for sending Jesus. Jesus, I confess that you are the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. I thank you that I'm forgiven. I thank you that I'm healed. And I thank you that I'm free. You are my Savior. You are my healer. Thank you for coming into my life. Thank you for making me a child of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you did that for the first time, somebody was watching, and they will come and talk to you because I don't want you to make a decision. I want you to embrace a relationship with a wonderful God. But I'm going to pray with you, and we're going to let you go because I went overtime again, and it is the summer. Did you know that? I'm supposed to finish at 12.15. I apologize. I don't know who made that rule, but I've successfully broken it week after week. But right now, people are coming to the front. There's people coming to the front because they're going to pray with you. There's a prayer ministry team every week, and every week you can get prayer. Every week, hands can be laid on you. Every week, we believe in impartation. Every week, we believe that you can be healed, you can be touched and set free. So these people are here to pray for you and minister to you. What a beautiful day out there. Isn't it awesome? We thank you for a beautiful summer. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for such a beautiful group of people. Thank you for the humbling, gracious opportunity to serve such a great group of folks. I love them deeply and with great affection. Father, I just pray your richest blessing on each one right now. Everything old, dear Lord, just bless it and wrap it and, and saturate it with your great love. 
Heavenly Father, may they know that you love them. Lord Jesus, may they know that you partner with them. And Holy Spirit, may your intimate fellowship with them reveal that Jesus is indeed with them every moment of the day. So I bless them to go out there and manifest the kingdom of light to the kingdom of darkness and to cause people to come into freedom every day. I bless this house in Jesus' precious name. Amen.